Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid Survive and Thrive series. Today, Dr. Gary Wartz is joined by Dr. Sherry Fathy and Nandini Venkateswaran, and special guest Dr. Bill Tratler for a discussion on networking like a pro. They talk about how to network in a way that's enjoyable and results in real and lasting connections with colleagues in ophthalmology. Coming up on Off the Grid. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to Ophthalmology Off the Grid, Survive and Thrive. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz, and tonight I'm super excited to have with me my co-host Nandini Venkateswaran, as well as Sharif Fathy. And we have another special guest who I'll introduce in a minute. We're talking about networking tonight, networking like a pro. And when I think about networking, it's sort of almost like a dirty word in business because networking sort of implies that we're going to be, you know, utilizing people as objects for, you know, future use or, you know, sort of um, leveraging a relationship for something um, for our own personal gain. And that's not really the kind of networking we're talking about tonight. We're talking about making really um, true connections with people. We're talking about making lasting friendships. And we're talking about forging win-win relationships where you want to help someone because you really enjoy that person and you have had a great relationship with them and you want the best for them. That's the kind of networking that I'm interested in. And I think that's the kind of networking that is, is really the type that is, um, I think, most long-lasting and, and enjoyable. Tonight, our special guest is probably my favorite networker, maybe the best networker in the world, not just ophthalmology, the one, the only Dr. Bill Trattler. So Bill, without further ado, um, I'd love for you to give us a little bit of an intro. Um, for anyone who doesn't know you, maybe just, I don't think there's anyone who doesn't know you, but if someone doesn't know you, give a little bit of a blurb on um, your practice and where you're at. And I'd love for you to give us a little blurb on how you feel like relationships have influenced your career so far. Absolutely, Gary. And no question, relationships have made such a difference. But first, uh, my name is Bill Trattler. I'm from Miami, Florida. I'm part of a large group. We have 15 ophthalmologists and three optometrists at the Center for Excellence and Eye Care. We're a private practice, but we love teaching. We have uh, medical students that we teach as well as residents. And um, so it's really fun. We get to do research and get to work with new technologies. Um, so I guess my story really starts with, um, you know, when I was young, kind of a Nandini's uh, level and stuff like that, maybe, maybe a year or two after I got, it was really excited, I got invited to this really wonderful conference. I got invited to go and I get to this conference and it's kind of, I thought it was pretty special. And then I got there and I realized I didn't really know anyone. And it was very awkward. So I got there and I remember sitting at a table, like at dinner at this big round table, but I was introduced myself a little bit, but. I still felt very awkward because I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any connections at that point. 
And I kind of thought to myself, wow, I do know a lot of people in ophthalmology, but why are none of my friends here, people I know here at least I have a connection with? And so I realized that um, it's much more fun to go to conferences, do clinical trials, do research, uh, do so many things together, write articles with your friends and colleagues. And that was kind of my impetus to maybe say, okay, I want things to be a little different. And, um, and I really realized that and we can make a difference by just helping our friends and our peers and our uh, and make a difference. Yeah, I've got to I've got to brag on you a little bit because um, when I was just getting out of residency, I had kind of a similar experience. I, w- I went to the academy meeting and I was just so alone. Um, I had my co-residents there, but otherwise, it just seemed like this overwhelming experience. Um, Cherie, have you been to the academy meeting or ASCRS yet? I went last year to AAO. Okay. And did it seem overwhelming a little bit? Oh, hundred percent. I was lost the entire time. I didn't know where to go or what to do. <laughs> right. Right. And all you see are these, these, these blinking lights of all these new machines that you realize that you're never gonna be able to afford. Um, Nandini, have you had the same kind of experience in, in settings like that? It's, it's kind of overwhelming. Oh, absolutely. You walk in and you see 20 people, all of whom are trying to give six talks at the same time running from one room to the next. And I'm like, I'm sorry, which building am I in right now? <laughs> right. Where am I supposed to be? Well, I, w- I, w- I remember like seeing like Carrie Solomon and Eric Donenfeld and like Ed Holland giving a talk and like thinking, how would I ever get to know these guys in a million years, in a thousand lifetimes? Like what, like I felt like this big chasm between where I was and like meeting people that I thought were really smart and really interesting um, and I just didn't know how to do that or if there was even an avenue for that. But along comes this thing called iConnect on the ASCRS um, website. They've got this, this chat board, which for, for the younger folks, before Facebook and Twitter <laughs> and Snapchat and Instagram and LinkedIn, there was these things called, called message boards. And people would actually like communicate on the internet through message boards. So for me, that was almost like my first foray into networking. And that's how Bill and I met. It was online, it was like online dating, right? <laughs> I threw this, I threw a couple of cases and questions out and Aww. about PRK or LASIK and, and Bill responded. I was like, oh my gosh, I've, I've read about Bill Trowler. Like I've seen his name in these, in these magazines and Bill Trowler is kind of a big deal. And now I'm talking to him online and this is really cool. So, you know, that was, that was really the first spark for me to realize that all these people that you read about and you see and you think are like on a different level with the first engagement, almost all of them are just super ready to take you under their wing, have a conversation with you, take you out for dinner or a drink and invest in you. And I had no idea that it was like that, but I was so happy to find that out. So um, I'd love to know Cherie and Nandini, have you guys had, um, any experiences like that where you met a person and then that person kind of was your entree? Because Bill introduced me to Tammy Baghetti and he introduced me to George Waring. And if you know Bill Trattler and Tammy Baghetti and George Waring, like the world is your oyster. You are like one phone call away from anyone. So I'd love for you guys to tell me, like, did you have an experience where sort of the world opened up to you inside of ophthalmology? Nandini, I'll, I'll start with you. Go ahead. I feel like Dr. Troutler was also kind of my like introduction to the world of ophthalmology. I met him in Miami because I was a resident at Bascom Palmer. And then we were like getting along social, seeing each other at different meetings. I remember this time last year, we were at the Advanced Refractive Congress. 
um, where he invited me to speak on a panel. And I met you, Dr. Wartz. And I was like, I finally get to meet the man of ophthalmology off the grid. And I'm meeting all of these great people, part of the Refractive Surgery Alliance. And then I'm telling Dr. Trattler how I'm looking for a job. And then I get this email from Cedars Aspen being like, they're looking for a doc at Mass Ioneer. Why don't you meet Katie Hatch? And then there comes my job. And so I just think the, a lot of these fortuitous experiences are what make ophthalmology so fun because the world is so small. And I was just a fellow. I'm super intimidated to meet all these big names and talk to them. I don't even know if what I'm saying is meaningful to them, but people are just... I completely agree. So willing to take you under their wing and so excited to help train the next generation of ophthalmologists. And that's what's so nice. And Dr. Trowler introduced me to Tammy Bogetti as well, which helped me get involved with this podcast. So I think all of those opportunities are wonderful. Yeah. Cherie, what about your situation? Yeah, I think it's it's such a common thread in ophthalmology and it's why we're so lucky to be a part of this. And I'd love to talk to you guys later because I'll be joining the job hunt quite soon, just terrifying. Um, but, you know, I, I first actually had my glimpse of what, you know, ophthalmology and networking and, and mentorship in ophthalmology would look like as a sophomore in college, which is looking back a little bit ridiculous. I, I don't think I really understood what the hierarchy was in ophthalmology. And I just thought, you know, this could be a cool specialty. I think I'm going to go to med school. So why don't I email um, Dr. Paul Sternberg, who was at the time the, the chair of the Vanderbilt Eye Institute, which, you know, he's the chairman. He's now like one of the head people at VUMC in general. Um, but this one speaks to how awesome Vanderbilt is at mentorship and two, just how incredible of a mentor Dr. Sternberg is. He read my email. He actually met with me. He didn't like, you know, he could have very well sent me to like a medical student coordinator or something. Um, and since then, he just became one of my closest mentors throughout all of med school um, while I was applying and really, um, you know, just not, not just a mentor, something that I really like to differentiate in between is a mentor and a sponsor. And I think he really just, um, when I went to go apply for programs, was constantly, you know, had my back, um, it really would um, tell me about where he think I would be a good fit, reach out to people on my behalf, introduce me to people. And he actually reminds me a lot about also at Vanderbilt, Dr. Janice Law, which if anyone's been involved with uh, AOYO, it's just an incredible resource. And she got to be all mine at Vanderbilt for a little bit. Um, and she's just another person who um, I can just text and say, I'm, I want to do this project. Or I want to get involved in this. And, you know, it could be 10 p.m. and she'll call you or she will, you know, find whoever is necessary to get you in touch with the right people. Um, and it's just been, you know, that's just my first glimpse. And I can't wait. I hope that same um, amount of help is available for me when I start looking for jobs, but it's just been such a wonderful resource. Yeah, I actually uh, got to meet uh, Dr. Paul Sternberg when I interviewed at Vanderbilt many years ago, and I got to meet uh, Dr. Janice Law. She was one of the few retina specialists who came to a Millennial Eye meeting. Bill, that might have been the Millennial Eye in Miami at the Fountain Blue, I think, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't swear to it. It might have been Austin or, or Nashville. One thing I tell, you know, I tell my kids, cause I have, I got started young. I got married early in life and had kids in med school. So I'm, I've got a daughter who's a soft, well, a rising sophomore in college and a, and a senior in high school. My son is a senior and I've told them through the years, I've said, you know, if you want to make friends, you know, everybody, everybody likes a compliment, but don't overdo it. And everybody's favorite topic is themselves. So, you know, if you run out of things to say, just ask somebody about themselves and they'll carry the conversation. So I do feel like, you know, in my world, whether it's podcasting and getting to meet people virtually or um, sitting down to dinner, um, 
that's been, a, that's been my playbook. It's not really, um, you know, it's not really that comp complex or complicated, but I, I really do enjoy as much as I talk. Um, and I'm not being a good example of this. I really do love listening to people and finding out what makes them tick and finding out their story. So what, what do you feel like? Do you feel like you've seen other residents do this either on Twitter or um, even medical students? Have you seen, I feel like Twitter has become almost the new networking opportunity for med students. Um, Nandini or Bill, um, Shree, what do you, what do you think about using social media for networking for maybe the younger folks? So I have a, a pretty cool story from, from social media. Um, I was introduced to, um, someone through a mutual friend and this person, um, actually ended up becoming one of my best friends, one of my business partners when I launched my nonprofit in med school. And I actually didn't meet her. We only interacted via social media and email until her engagement day. So it was maybe like six months of us building a company together. We only met online. Um, and then we met uh, eventually when she got engaged. Um, so she I was a real person. Component. She was She's like, a real person. Yeah, okay. This is what was so terrifying was that I called my dad and I was like, just FYI, I'm going to this person's engagement party, I hope. Please call me when I land in Houston and make sure that I actually make it to this party. Um, but we had mutual friends, so it wasn't 100% random. Um, but, you know, we ended up really being influenced by each other. She's actually now, this is uh, Batula Buharb. She's now actually uh, an assistant professor of optometry at Baylor. That's just how much we sort of worked off of each other. Um, and she just gave me so many um, effective ideas for networking, and I learned a lot from her. I think our biggest thing is just shoot your shot, just try it. Um, so we would send cold call emails, um, for our nonprofit, we sent an email to the director of the UN relief and works agency and just decided to, you know, shoot him a project idea, see if he was receptive. And he ended up being one of our biggest advocates. And he was the reason why we were able to, uh, deliver our telehealth services to refugees in the Middle East. Um, and I think our, our biggest thing was that, you know, we, sh we sold him on an idea and then from early on and continuously, we delivered on that promise. Um, so that was a huge thing for us. And we, we did a lot of cold call emails. You know, what's the worst? They don't reply. Uh, that's fine. Even if they say no, they took the time to respond to your email. So it's worth just seeing, you know, if they have any advice or if they can connect you to someone. Um, and then, you know, being able to, to use your contacts to get you to where you need to be. But Tool is like an incredible example of this. Um, she has so many friends and different networks. And I think when you're just genuine and honest and passionate about your service or what you can provide to people, people are gonna wanna help you. I think that's definitely the case in ophthalmology. Um, and I think it, she was ex exceptionally good at sharing her elevator pitch about our company and good enough so that we ended up being invited to the White House and President Obama gave a speech about our nonprofit. It was surreal. Um, she's just very talented in that regard and just taught me a lot about, you know, have the hustle, be excited, shoot your shot, just try and see what happens. Okay. So this is a whole other podcast we're going to have to have now because you, <laughs> you just dropped a huge like bomb of interesting things I could talk about forever. But before, like we'll save that for another time, but tell us about, tell us your nonprofit's name and how people can get more information about it. Yeah, so we're called Dunya Health. Um, Spell at this that out point, for us. we've we Dunya is Arabic for world, uh, D-U-N-I-A Health. Um, at this point, we were actually um, 
you know, so successful that we've kind of worked ourselves out of a job right now. <laughs> the UN has, um, the UN Relief and Works Agency ended up adopting our services, which was SMS technology to alert patients about missed appointments. Um, but we're always excited to look at new projects and new um, populations. And so um, we're more than happy to connect with people. We're on all the social media outlets. You can find us there. That is fantastic. That is fantastic. Um, Nandini, what do you think about social media uh, in the age of networking, especially for young doctors? I think it's become um, very important, actually. I just started a Twitter probably like four or five months ago, and it started to become a really nice way to connect with docs from all different institutions all around the world. It's, it's fun, like we were just talking about with Cherie, how she kind of posed a question on what should I do to prepare to start cataract surgery, my third year of residency, and people are responding, like cataract coach, like Uday Devgan has a, t a thought, Malika Hook has a thought, and you're like, oh, cool, let me like see what they have and let me learn from them. I think even on Instagram, many young physicians are creating accounts that are kind of creating communities and meetings on meeting each other. Many of them have probably not met in person yet, but they've kind of created this online community that has served as sources of resources for young and training physicians. And it's also, I think, a nice way to keep in touch. I felt like I've met a lot of um, of these physicians at smaller meetings like Millennial Eye or the Mid-Year Forum, and then you can continually still communicate with them kind of informally on social media. You know, it's not like a formal email or a formal conversation. It just, it's kind of an ongoing um, banter that keeps things fun, but also keeps you connected and in line of sight for these people. That's so interesting. Um, you know, it's talking about social media, Nandini. Um, because what, there's two, well, I think two areas in social media. You can be an influencer and get involved with the public, or you can have more of a private with physicians. So, and I see that there's different, you can use social media in different ways. So going back to what Gary talked about, which is the ASCRS iConnect, and there's also something called CareNet. Those are physician only groups. And they, they have the same type of thing on Facebook and I've seen it other places too, where it's, you have to be a member to be involved, but then you can connect uh, with other people. The nice thing about, Facebook, for example, is that you can see the pictures of people and stuff like that, but they're all very helpful for asking questions, asking ideas, and, and really communicating really well. So, but then there's also the, the, you know, you can start your own Instagram account and really try to reach out to the public and be an influencer and, and like share ideas on uh, and make a difference. Like, you know, for example, whether it's what, like Cherise did and, and what, what her goals were, or you have an idea that you want to you know, change, you know, something else in medicine or things like that and really, but, but get outside people outside of ophthalmology involved that's where instagram and and uh even tiktok and things like that can possibly uh, you know get you can get a following and make a difference i also think that something sheree said was, is really interesting and, and i i sort of got used to this um you know back in my days when i was dating is just like rejection right like you know it's it's different when you're just asking a colleague for some help but it kind of feels the same like you're introducing yourself you're asking somebody for some form of connection or, or relationship. And, you know, I got rejected a lot and, and, and I just got used to that and it just stopped bothering me. I mean, I remember one of my friends said one time, he's like, if a girl, if you ask a girl to dance and she says, no, just say, why are you being so picky? I'm not. <laughs> that's and you know, like that's horrible. And I, I may have actually used that a couple of times to be honest. And I'm not proud of that. But the point is, if you ask somebody, like if you try to engage someone and they like rebuff you, it really says more about them than it says about you, right? Like you don't have to take it personally. If you try to reach out to somebody and they don't give you the time of day, 
you know, you're no worse off just on to the next person. And you didn't probably want that person in your life because they were not going to be the kind of mentor um, that you needed or a sponsor uh, that you needed. So, um, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of life is a numbers game and just finding that right connection, whether it's, you know, you know, a match for a romantic relationship or whether it's, you know, a match for, um, you know, a mentor or a sponsor. I think sometimes you just have to realize that, you know, there's going to be some level of rejection. You have to put yourself out there. Don't take it personally if it doesn't work out and just on to the next. If it's, you know, if it's not meant to be, um, you know, the, the world is, is full of other, other people you can engage with. Um, is that too callous, Bill? You think that's a good, a good <laughs> method? That, that is. Uh, I mean, obviously, um, we, you know, we all want to be liked and, you know, it's hard to, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if I can take rejection as easily as you can. <laughs> but, I have a lot of practice, though. I had a lot of practice. So that, that's where I got expertise at it. That's so funny. I think, um, you know, I guess when you ask people, like, I guess, you know, as you build up your, your networks of people like on Facebook or other things, and you ask people to do, you know, be your connections, you can see how many people say yes versus how many people just decline. Um, I guess you must have a lot of declines, but that's okay. <laughs> it's getting real. It's getting real in here. I did have a question. So do you think that is it really, what's the future? Is it really going to, is it more Instagram? Is it more um, Twitter? Is it more TikTok? Is it more Facebook? Or is it going to be a different social media? Like what, what's the, what do you think the future is going to be for social media? Which, where should we be looking towards? Like what's the best platform or do we need to be on all of them? I think it's a hard question because I, as you were alluding to, I think they each serve a different purpose. Like I think for at least as someone who's thinking of starting, you know, her own practice, who's like going to start her own clinical practice, Instagram seems to be a really nice way to get to know the public, kind of marketing yourself as say a LASIK refractive surgeon hitting that 20s to 30s demographic. I feel like Twitter has become more of a platform where I'm communicating with more physicians or at least reporting more scientific data. Facebook almost to me seems like more of a personal connection. Like I post something and like everyone I've known in my whole life responds to it. Like I graduated and it's like my mom's friend and then like Dr. Trattler. So it's the whole spectrum. Um, and then like things like LinkedIn, I haven't used as much, um, but I think in other fields, it serves as a more networking job search opportunity. TikTok is just great. I still can't figure it out. Like if someone could give me a tutorial, that'd be fantastic. Maybe I can use that as part of my marketing scheme. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's exciting. And I think it's something that even if it's uncomfortable for a lot of us, I think we do need to jump on the game. Um, because I think it's changing the way that we're all networking. A lot of meetings aren't happening in person. A lot of it's going to be virtual. We need to find ways to keep our voices, you know, heard um, through these changing times. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I personally, I have a different take. I'm, is anyone else just worried about cancel culture? Like, I guess as we're talking about social media and networking, like the, the negative side of it is real. And I do worry a little bit about, um, not that I would say, you know, anything that I think would be wrong, but just even something taken out of, taken out of context. Um, you know, I've had, I've had some situations, um, where, so for example, in 2016, I think I had posted something on Facebook that I had been operating something like 20 of the past, like 28 hours or something like I'd operated all day. I'd gone home, gone to sleep and then operated like another, like 12 hours. And I had someone basically say like, I don't think you should be writing this because if a patient found out about that, they could potentially like sue you for being 
fatigued or something like that. So I, I, I sort of had this weird sense of, I don't want to have to be that responsible for monitoring and filtering everything I say. And I, I found myself like overanalyzing the stuff I was posting. Like if I was on vacation, I was worried that like if I posted this, then maybe someone who can't afford to go on vacation is going to feel like a little bit jealous or bad, or maybe someone who doesn't like me that I'm friends with is going to break into my house. Or like, you know, like there's all these worries that I guess maybe I'm just like overanalyzing it a little bit, but like, I do think there's a, you have to be careful about sharing too much about yourself because, you know, patients might see it, your staff may see it, you know, and, and be a little bit like, oh, it must be nice that you get to go X, Y, and Z. And so I sort of have taken a little bit more of like a measured approach, like my name on, 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 on Twitter is not my real name. You know, I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore. LinkedIn, I think, is just bots. I just can't tell if anyone on LinkedIn is a real person. And but it, I'm on LinkedIn, and you can find me, and I'd be happy to connect. Um, but what, Sherry, what do you think about that? What do you think about the like, you know, weighing the pros and cons of networking? Yeah, I think it's. I think you bring up such a an important point, um, and especially nowadays, I think people are are very sensitized to you know, potentially putting something that could upset people, um, you know, as, as someone who is currently trying to work on their professional profiles. And I also, you know, help run the Will's residence Instagram. You have to think about, um, you know, it's, it's almost, you just, you have to think about, you know, could this upset someone? Um, right. You know, even something as simple as, is everyone masked? Because things could be misinterpreted. Um, it's, it's really important to look at everything you post as, uh, uh, as both objectively and subjectively as possible. Um, and think about, you know, would I ever be embarrassed to have say that I've written this and, um, is there any, and sometimes you can't be this, this conclusive, but as much as possible, is there a way that this could be misinterpreted that could hurt me or hurt my institution? Because you're also, all of us are representing institutions that we care about. Um, and you know, you don't want to be someone that could eventually inadvertently hurt that place's reputation or something because you posted something without thinking thoroughly. Right. Right. I would have to, again, I've told my kids, like if, if you would not want your grandmother to put that post on her refrigerator, <laughs> uh, don't put it online. <laughs> right. well, but, but I will say, but it can be fun too. Like it can be very powerful, like for helping other people be more successful. So like, when I see someone do something really well, or I see like a news article, or I see them in, the, like you know, in a publication, I actually post on their page and say, "Congratulations, I saw this." Um, like uh, I'll call someone, Rania Habash, um, has been work working at Baskin Palmer, who Nandini knows, uh, has been working with, working really hard in telemedicine, and she, her work I, I mentioned on the Senate floor, I guess, in some committee on how on telemedicine, the future of of of, of healthcare. And so she got her. She had, her name was actually in the in this this bulletin. So I actually posted on her Facebook page to share the news. Like, wow, she's really making a positive difference. And uh, I just really think we can and it just uh, help. You know, like when we see nice pe our colleagues doing really great things, we can actually use social media to help share share that positive news. I definitely think that's the, the most. That's probably the best way we can use social media, and it's it's likely the the most altruistic. Where we're really not trying to promote ourselves, but we're actually using the platform to promote other people. Um, I don't think you can almost ever go wrong with that. And so I've, I agree. 
Um, like like the other day, I saw that Bindu Mane was um, on was like featured in LinkedIn for um, being a featured member of Owl. And you know, I just typed, you know, congratulations, you know, Bindu. Everyone loves Bindu, and so it's so nice when you do see uh, people that are doing a great job just to give them a little bit of like kudos. Um, I think that's 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 fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We all are kind of Zoom fatigued. Um, we're all trying to do social distancing. In this time right now what do you all feel like are the best ways to try to actually connect with people? Because I think that we're all getting a little bit burned out with sort of the things we've been doing. Is there anything that you've found recently um, that has been sort of a, a good way to connect with people? Cause we're not going to meetings. It looks like we're not going to meetings for any, you know, anytime in the near future and bill in the past, you know, I would love for you to just, before we get into that, I would love for you to give your kind of spiel on, you know, going to the smaller meetings and, and really getting engaged because that I think is such a powerful message, especially for younger um, ophthalmologists. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, as you know, I, I love meetings. I think that, um, you know, the American Academy of Ophthalmology and ASCRS are wonderful large meetings, but it's the smaller meetings where you get a chance to really interact with everyone who's at the meetings and get to know them. And so that's how, when I was early in my career, I got to meet some really well-known uh, you know, physicians and ophthalmologists, but it also allowed me to learn from them. And, and, and since they had a chance to see me on the smaller stage, they then invited me to be involved on the bigger stage, like at ASCRS and AO, as I got more involved, is was going to the smaller meetings, networking, getting to meet them. I also got involved in clinical trials, so research, articles, tons of opportunities when you go to smaller meetings. Uh, plus, you became friends with, with, with everyone. So it was really a wonderful opportunity. So I, I typically go to about 15 to 20 meetings every year because I really love going there and it's actually a huge change in my life and I'm sure for everyone since we're not traveling but um, obviously there's been some good and you know good things without traveling but um, these small meetings really can make a big difference in our careers we, we're always better doctors we learn so much in these small meetings where you learn new techniques new pearls in a really one-on-one -on -one situation so um, anyway I'm a big fan. I actually would say from a trainee perspective, smaller meetings are huge. Like when I was a third year resident, I tried to present at like the Cornea and Eye Banking Forum and, and Millennial Eye and ASCRS. And I was actually presenting in front of a lot of the people I interviewed with for my Cornea Fellowship interview. So it ended up being a really nice way to informally network with them, but they've seen you do something academic. And then there's something for you guys to talk about when you meet in person in that interview setting. That actually for me was a really powerful way to network. And I introduce myself to people that I've interviewed for with residency and fellowship. I'm like, hi, so it's like, do you remember me? I'm Nandini, I trained at Baskin. I really enjoyed your interview. And it's just a nice way to start a conversation. And it, you'll be surprised how many people actually remember you and are more than happy to kind of chat with you and see how you're doing and catch up. So for trainees, I think that's actually really important, even virtually to be able to try to get your name out there and present and so forth is very helpful for networking. I think in the intra-COVID era, I've asked probably maybe a little more than I normally would have um, for people um, who I know to connect me with people who I may, you know, want to connect with when it's possible to meet with in person again, or now as I'm preparing to apply for a cornea fellowship, just people who I think um, I would like to speak with beforehand, just so that there's some maybe mild name recognition um, when my application comes forward. It's definitely, and I would love to hear from you guys, especially, you know, how do we as trainees who are 
um, in this place where we're applying in kind of an odd climate? Um, you know, how do you reach out to people and, you know, be, you know, not memorable, but just remembered <laughs> um, during a time where it's, you're not necessarily going to meet them in person and you're not getting those normal networking opportunities. Um, you know, right now I'm just asking people to connect me via email or opportunities. Um, again, asking for heavily for that kind of sponsorship uh, type of mentorship, but I'd love to hear from you guys. How does one connect without being annoying? What are ways to be helpful um, or ways to connect with people during this time? One thing I would say is, you know, because we're all sort of cloistered in our, in our own area, you know, if you're a resident, try to, you know, forge a deeper relationship with your program director or some of your attendings, maybe take on a project that maybe you wouldn't otherwise take on or extra responsibilities because their connections become your connections if they like you. You know, if they really like you, they're going to be your sponsor. And so, you know, that's the thing that I, I think I missed out on a little bit What was I did not do a fellowship. And I really feel like one of the most important things in the fellowship beyond just what you learn from a surgical skill perspective is you're, if you do a good job and you're a trustworthy, you know, good surgeon, your fellowship mentor is going to be your job connect he or she are, they're going to call someone and say, you have to hire Cherie because she is fantastic eight different ways. And that as you're done, you know, game over, you're, you're, someone's going to hire you uh, because of the trust that you are basically, you know, being given, um, you know, by proxy through your fellowship or, uh, you know, your mentor. So Bill, any other thoughts on that? No, I mean, I think, you know, starting from home makes sense. Um, figuring out, you know, should you, like, what places you want to go to, and that's going to really help influence you on how to connect with those people. So if you want to go to Baskin Palmer, there's someone right here right now you could just speak to, and she could give you some pearls on who to reach out to. Uh, she may have some ideas. Um, you know, like, for example, Baskin Palmer is having um, virtual grand rounds every Thursday morning. So maybe you log into a couple so you have a little connection, or maybe you're, that person that you're going to be interviewing with is actually – presenting or doing something there and you could say, oh, by the way, I, I've been watching some virtual grand rounds because I'm interested in Baskin Palmer. Um, and I really liked what you said, you know, like things like that could be very helpful showing that you're really interested in the program. Yeah. Being sincere and showing sincere interest is, uh, I don't think there's any, any um, substitute for that. So thank you guys. Um, this has been a wonderful time to see your faces. We're doing this via Zoom. You're going to hear this as a podcast. So everyone else will get the audio version of this, but it's been really fun to see all you. As I started this off, you know, I don't look at networking as this thing that we do, but really this experience that we all live together with people that we really enjoy being with. Um, I view it as really an extension of my personal friendships and, um, maybe during this time when we're all separated, we can reflect a little bit more on uh, how much we enjoy the company of our friends and uh, how we can't, you know, can't wait to get back together um, when we're on the other side of this. So um, I really appreciate you all uh, giving of yourselves tonight and sharing your perspectives and we will meet again soon. Thank you to our contributors for joining for another episode of the Survive and Thrive series. And thanks to Dr. Trattler for sharing his expertise. This has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Until next time.